When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Recording on Thursday, September 22nd, 2022. I'm Jeff O'Neill, here with Rebecca Shinsky, coming to you from the niche outlet of bookriot.com. <laughs> Is that shade or what's the inverse? Of I shade? wear. I like it. I mean, <laughs> I the, like the it truth too. is, we are a niche outlet. So the joke here is, no one should get this. It's uh, Kelly Jensen's coverage and Danica's too was cited in the Atlantic about book banning and censorship, and making the point where it hasn't really been covered by mainstream outlets, but it has been covered by niche outlets like Book Riot like and something called the First Amendment, which is a, a freedom or you know a First Amendment. Well, it's in the it's on the tin, um, freedom of expression. And we've been having fun with that. And I think the truth is we are, if we're not a niche outlet, who is? It's okay. I mean, we're a niche outlet. We write about books and stuff. That's okay. The, our company's mission statement says we create content for niche communities. So That's true. There you go. Anyway, um, it's nice to be noticed, however small and belittling the notice <laughs> <laughs> might, might be. However small. Backhanded compliments, one-on-one. I'm your instructor. And if I remember right, the Atlantic just started a a niche vertical, sub-vertical of covering books. So welcome to the niche Atlantic show title. Yes, they started a book vertical talking, I think, almost exclusively, if not actually exclusively, about older books, which I have a lot of questions about that choice. But okay, carry on, Atlantic. Welcome. Yeah, we're going to need to round up at some point because it was dropped in our company slack today that the Washington Post has a reinvigorated, rejuvenated and was it rejuvenated and rehab refurbished home for books. Uh the Washington Post. I think that was that's very fascinating to see. So I don't know. What's old is new again. Um I haven't cut I I subscribed to the books newsletter from the Atlantic and this is just me. It's not for every you know, everyone's different. My eyes glazed over. Every, I've, yeah. I've tried three times and I can't get <laughs> into. I don't. I can't figure out what they're throwing down. And I have not been able to figure it out either. And I saw the New York Times has been doing a book club, and the one yeah. I don't know who's hosting it. I haven't gotten that far into it, but I see it on my New York Times app home screen. And the most recent one was an E.L. Doctorow book, which like, okay, fine, great. I also like E.L. Doctorow, but why right now? <laughs> and there are so many other great new books. Like if you're not picking new books or newish stuff for your book club and you're going to the wide open ocean, how do you land at like, let's do this as a, an open thing for the world and the place we're going to go is Doctorow? <laughs> I just don't know. That's almost exactly the wrong thing. To do because Eel Doctor, I like Eel Doctor. I've read almost yes, the whole Eel Doctor Corpus, I could do the whole thing, but it's not yet a classic. He's not yet a classic, he's also not new. Doesn't it's seem, not fun. It's it's well, like, I mean, it's, I'm the wrong, well, you know, it's fun. not like it's not like sticky, fun, popular, yeah. media, you know, pop culture stuff. I sort of feel like you want to go, Oh, I totally missed whatever John Updike mm-hmm. or Willa yeah. Cather or you know. Uh, Ralph Ellison. If you're going to do classics, I think that's the way it Yeah, goes. right, 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 right. So th- that's a very strange 
way to start. On the other hand, if you can get those people, then the sky's the limit. <laughs> if you get people onto that, Scott, what a weird It's career. a niche audience there. Dr. O kind of weirdly was a precursor to the polygeneric authors that you and I like so much now mm-hmm. when you think about what he now I'm doing a EL doctoral podcast after just besmirching it so that's <laughs> that's what we call hypocrisy uh, right there it's uh in there and what are we doing we're, we're talking oh okay so we were just commiserating about what's how new cool and worth happening worth happening yeah, worth talking cool, about in the world of what authors are <laughs> stale dead and not at all in the zeitgeist um Maybe they we, were like, you know, Book Riot is on the tip of what's new and cool, so we'll go back to what happened. Yeah, in that's the 1940s. right. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna fall back Kicking to a less school. occupied <laughs> position. Seventies popular literary authors. Um, let's see. Uh, announcement front. Oh, we did our Colleen Hoover. It ends with us discussion. That's on the Patreon now. Um, were you a little nervous putting that into the world? You were actually, was. you know what? You weren't. You were. You were excited. You wanted to put it out there. You ne- you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. That's what Rebecca was thinking about. It ends with us. I was. I, I think a little bit nervous. I, th- I guess maybe the better way to phrase it is I was. I don't know. Relieved and more comfortable that it's in that it's in the walled garden yeah. than out on the full feed not because we said anything bad or that I wouldn't stand behind but I have lived on the internet long enough to know that I don't want like the full force or even a, a or even a section of the force of the Colleen mm-hmm. Hoover fandom to point its you know laser focus on me uh, and it's not a popular opinion that <laughs> the the way we shook out on Colleen Hoover is not the uh, popular response to Colleen Hoover. So, yeah, I, w- I wasn't too nervous about how it would go on the Patreon. I'm really glad that we read it and that we had yes. the conversation that we did. I like to be able to have my own opinion about these things and to try to genuinely come to an understanding about what is the appeal of this thing that mm. is clearly appealing to millions and millions of people. Um, but, yeah, I think I, w- I was a little... Not so much nervous as like curious. And if if any of our subscribers were going to tell us that they agreed or that they disagreed or add any of their own flavors to having read it. And we've had a few folks say, you know, this echoes my own experience. So that was affirming. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's a that's a thing we did. <laughs> we don't like to trade in the let's. I mean, if you haven't listened, maybe you can get from the tenor of our conversation already that it wasn't <laughs> a huge hit with us. But if it weren't something we were doing for the Patreon, we wouldn't have put it on the main feed, I don't think. Like, it's not something yeah. we're interested in doing. I do think there is th- the reader or listener service. Like, I, I don't think we have any um, pretensions that we're, like, getting any reach outside of our own audience. But for people that listen to this show and you haven't read the book and maybe you're curious about it, I think it is a service to say, mm-hmm. here's our experience of it. You've listened to us a long time. You probably have some sense of our taste. And then what that means for the Hoover future and what the sales mean and then also i don't know it's done something weird to my view of tiktok i think even just mm-hmm. having read the book and thinking about it some more and we we have some more tiktok conversation to do later in the social save it to that so i think there's a servicey element to it i'm, I'm not in flames for flames sake i'm not like troll baiting or click rage clicking that's not <laughs> yeah. what i'm interested in but we don't th- do it is a gleeful... service at some point i think yeah i think we don't do the gleeful hatchet job no. and that's an easy thing to do you know it's easy to read something that you don't think is good and then just gleefully take it down or mock mm-hmm. it and i'm not interested in that and you're not interested in that like book riot's not interested in that as a position no. for a variety of reasons primarily because it's not a service and it's 
It lacks nuance. It is the easy thing to do. It's much harder to just try to take, to meet something where it is and understand what's going on with it and arrive at your place in there and in the conversation. And I'm happy to do that work for a phenomenon of this size. Because I think if I didn't do the work that I do, in the place that I do it, if I were just a general like reader out in the world subscribing to book podcasts or reading book newsletters, I would be following this trend wondering, okay, really, is it all that or what? And I think I would appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it when like folks on the TV podcast that I listen to take the hot new thing and talk about, is there merit to this? What is the merit? What are the problems? Like it helps me decide if I'm going to devote any of the minutes of my one wild and precious life to checking that thing out or not. Yeah, and you know it made. Um, also, we did our top ten bookish phenomenon of our reading lives, and TikTok made that. And you know, Colleen Hoover, I think, is the standard bearer for that. So it was it was current to do, and I feel like I understand more and less at the same time. Uh, yeah. The the whole situation of doing it. So you can check that in the feed. Coming up next week on this show, um, Dead Poets Society discussion. Rebecca is going to be vacationing. Where are you? I, I don't. We, don't be creepy. You don't have to tell us where you're going. <laughs> Um, and so going it's going to be somewhere. You go into the mountain somewhere. Yeah. Um, and we talked, we recorded it early, so I'll be editing it, but it'll go into the feed for next week. Dead Poets Society spent an hour and 10 minutes talking about that. And then our next Patreon episode, we're doing campus novels. Are we each doing five? Mm-hmm. I've, what have we decided yeah. to do? Yeah. I, I decided on five. <laughs> you decide on five. I will probably try to smuggle some in <laughs> just underneath. Hot tip, not all of mine are novels, so that's a really good start for me to begin with. Um, <laughs> I love cheating from the top. That's yeah, great. that's right. Speaking of campus novels, cheating on your homework is uh, definitely a theme <laughs> to do there. So you can check that out. Um, before we get in the rest of the show, let's do a um, sponsor break. It's not in the sh- it's not in the show notes, Rebecca. But I'm going to freelance for a minute. I've got listener feedback great. and then a personal pal story. Okay. Um, listener feedback: Kindles with ads. Oh yes. I think that probably. Our sense of it was right, which is most people use it with ads. Some people don't. And it's kind of correctly priced. So the people mm-hmm. that emailed to say they get rid of the ad said if it was too much more, I would just go get a Nook because I don't want the ads. So they've seen, I think what it is, is they want people to buy a Kindle. And they'd prefer you have it with ads, but they'd rather you buy a Kindle without ads than go buy a Nook. So I think that's maybe what the pricing strategy is, rather than some sort of formula about ro- lost revenue. Because if, if you only can get an ad and you're not going to buy a Kindle, then you lose the ad, you lose the revenue anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think the twenty bucks is really more of a it's more of a behavioral psychology nudge, Bob Thaler style, to get you to get the one with ads. But if you don't, well, that's okay. And they, maybe they've correlated it right. No one responded saying I was going to buy a Kindle. But with ads, it's too, it's, I don't want ads and without ads, it's too much. No one said I went and bought a Kobo or a Nook or something because of that ads arbitrage, which mm-hmm. seems to me, well done choice architecturing that Amazon. Yeah. Weirdly, the largest tech e-commerce it's, company in the world knows what they're doing. It's so much less disruptive in a reading experience. Like it's just a screen that you can tap off yeah. of than the disruption of like having ad supported Hulu, you know, where you get an ad mm-hmm. in the middle of your show every five minutes or whatever. And, and you have to sit through it uh, or mute it or whatever. I, I don't think that the incentive for the reader is as high yeah. as the incentive for like the viewer on a streaming platform or even uh, like ad supported Spotify. Yeah. And I was thinking about myself. Um, some people said they like, 
it's not so much that they don't like the ads, but they like to see the cover of the book they're reading. That becomes the lock screen, which I had forgotten about it. Like I said, I've had oh. the ones with ads for so long. I don't really care about that, given the the is it monochrome? Is it grayscale? I don't even know. I think it's it's grayscale because they can do they could do. If it were color, I think I would spring for the one without ads because I mm. would like to see the cover when my Kindle is on the table. But in black and white or whatever the weird Dagobah color palette of the <laughs> Kindle really is, it does. it's not good enough. It doesn't look like the cover enough for me to remember it because of the, the color palette. So anywhere, in, in, niche, in niche subjunctive universes where things are <laughs> other than they are, um, so everyone knows that's what I would do. Were there a device that doesn't exist? That's what I would do. Congratulations to me um, for figuring that out. Uh, so listener feedback. So I was in Pals yesterday. I like to go once mm-hmm. a week around the new release day just to I miss some stuff, see what's in there. I forgot it, that What If 2 by Randall Monroe was out, so I oh, had yeah. my eye on that. Nice big, my it's kids are in one. a good stage for browsing that and taking a look at it. Um, two questions for you. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about it on the show. I th- I had heard, and sometimes this is one of those things that's kind of a availability bias, but I'm glad my mom died by Jeanette McCurdy. Have you seen yes. the discourse around this at all? Have you been following I this at all? I have seen, here's what I know about okay. that book, is that it came out and immediately sold out in print, yep. or like very, very quickly sold out in print. And so I know several folks who like listened to it on audio because they couldn't get it in print. But the TLDR is that, she had a terrible and abusive relationship with her mother. Her mother was abusive, and it's a memoir about that. Yeah, and the the author, I think, was on a Disney show or a Nickelodeon Junior yeah, Actress, yes. iCarly or something. I don't grown know. Up, the, grown up child co- actress, yes. Yeah, and it's like stage mom on steroids, real life mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it did sell out, and it's been selling well. But I was in Pals yesterday, and I get my best nuggets from eavesdropping while I'm browsing. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> And two people came up to the information counter asking about the book. And they were they were out. Pals is out, my local pals. Mm-hmm. And one of them even said, I doubt you have it, but I'm just checking. Mm. So not only they come for it, but they even had, they brought the discourse with them or the knowledge with them that it's a selling book. So I don't know what to make of that. This is not the kind of thing I would normally read, but that you can't get it has my interest peaked a little bit, I, ha- I have to admit. Yeah, I didn't look up. I wish I had looked up what the first print run of it was, because if the publisher also didn't anticipate that it would do this, then they probably just got surprised and ran out very quickly. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to know what the size of that sellout of the print run was to try to get a better sense of the phenomenon. But I I think I did see that it was enough to put it near near or at the top of one of the weekly bestseller lists when it came out. Um, So pretty big deal. I'm curious. I had also been kind of looking at it, having the same, all right, people are talking about this. It's a big deal. It would probably be a, an interesting yeah. audiobook hang. Uh, so I, I might go that direction. Interesting, it, but, but not comfortable. And I got to pick my spots, to be honest yeah. with you. I, I, you know, I, I'm not I mean, really sure. I think we're both still reeling from interesting, but not comfortable off of the Tad Friend memoir. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. so I'm looking at this week's Publishers Weekly. Um, and I'm glad my mom died is the number one selling title in hardcover frontless nonfiction, 29,000 units mm-hmm. last week. And the, the staff person at Powell said that there's some coming on the truck tomorrow. So they got all that. Okay. Um, sort out another one. And I, this is not from eavesdropping. This is just from me browsing. So two weeks ago, the best-selling work of fiction in the country, new work of hardcover fiction was Babel 
Barf Quang, which I had ordered and is coming mm-hmm. from for me pretty soon. I didn't get it right away, but it debuted at number one on hardcover fiction. And if I'm looking at it right now, let me just make sure I'm not. It fell off completely. It went from one to off the top 20 in one I wonder week. if that's a pre-order phenomenon. If it had I, a I lot was trying of to pre-orders. think it has to be, right? That like, happens, yeah. Does that happen, though? Like one, mm-hmm. to, tw- one to 20 plus? Well, I don't, I don't know that about happening. that, but I think that's just the Occam's razor interpretation. Yeah, it's the right. easiest explanation is that it had such a big first week because a lot of them were pre-ordered and all those mm-hmm. hit the day the book comes out. Yeah, it was. It, it went from one to 10 and then to off. Mm-hmm. So on the other hand, I was in PALS and I didn't see any copies. So I wonder if there's a print printing problem. Oh, maybe. You know, I, I don't know how much we're still dealing with supply chain. I read the notes on, um, um, I think it was a booksellers convention, maybe ABA or something like that, where they had some notes and that printing and supply chain continue to be a problem. This time last year, we were getting all sorts of you know, shelter in place about book buying for the holiday season. <laughs> yeah. We aren't getting that now, but it is interesting that um, you can't find it for, for love or money, a couple of these books. Mm-hmm. I wonder, Arf Quang, I, I'm really interested in Babel. I think the pitch was um, The Secret History meets Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, which are two books oh. I really liked in our yeah. difficult comps. That's compelling. It's extremely long, which is tough. Um, but I did an inch in... Crane wrote The Poppy War, which I didn't read, but I know a lot of people really like. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's unusual to see a science fiction title. I think it's science fiction. I'm not really sure. Fantasy, we mm-hmm. get into a weird spec fic uh, gray area there. Um, but uh, interesting book selling phenomenon. Now, anything that's not a TikTok thing, and maybe both of these things are for all I know. I mean, that's kind of where I am right now. Maybe, maybe there's a huge babble hive um, out on TikTok, <laughs> or Jeanette McCurdy is, has a bunch of young fans who are... are um, making videos about it but at least it's a different thing then <laughs> at least it's not you know six of the top 10 best-selling books are colleen hoover and the other two are taylor jenkins reed um <laughs> but those are my notes from the wild rebecca so okay there we go. i have uh, one note from i don't know books that are coming next yeah. year wild so I, several months ago we sort of teased like something is going on but we don't know what with the next abraham verghese novel oh yeah like, long-awaited second Abraham Verghese novel. The last thing that we had heard was that he he had been published by Penguin Random House, by Random House originally, when Cutting for Stone came out in 2013 or 2014. And there was like big talk about a second deal. I think it was a seven-figure deal for the second book. And then the deal was off at PRH. We still don't know what happened there. Mm-hmm. But I got an email earlier this week that made me very excited that the book is being published by Grove Atlantic is coming out in I think April of 2023 I cannot for the life of me remember the title it's the Co- something something covenant or covenant of something I believe mm-hmm. um, it's a billion pages long and my early galley showed up five minutes ago <laughs> how long so, is it it, I, it looks about like 900 I oh didn't look it's a chunker it's a big one I was uh, super so I was like, worried because cutting for stone is long and it's been a minute yeah, for Abraham it's big. so he'd been yeah. he'd been writing yeah, he's been writing for a while. He's had a decade on this one. Um, and I had the like, should I start this immediately? Should I save this for like my holiday break? Should I save it for right before the book comes out? <laughs> what should I do? <laughs> here's here's what I think the, the rest of the listeners and I can tell you right now. I'm speaking for all of you. Congratulations yeah, to it. you. You have a wonderful spokesperson. I think as a service to me, I mean us, 
<laughs> you need to read the first 50 pages and report back. I, what's the, okay. what's the coverage policy on something like that? I, I don't, are there, do you ever get in the world of books and reading, you can, unless it's day and date, you can say stuff, right? Generally, you know more about this. Yeah. Than it's not embargoed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I can, I can say stuff as soon as I want. Um, I will definitely read the first 50 pages and give you the skinny. Because <laughs> we'll I wonder if you can pick up the, whatever it was about the book that scared Pierre. I mean, that's the, I, I would read this book anyway, right? Mm-hmm. I like Cutting for Stone, this, this huge hiatus, second novel, interesting voice. I'd be there anyway if it was just, was it Penguin? Crown doesn't matter. Probably yeah, one it was of one of the big. Commercial. It was one of the big Random House imprints the first time around. But what is it? Why, can we reverse engineer why they got the spooks <laughs> yeah, and, and, the, and you bolted? Know, the, the blurb that was in the email I received, and then that's also on the galley, which I've been. I try to like kind of look at those blurbs through my fingers because I don't want to get spoiled on anything. I it has something to do again with medicine, uh, yeah. and he's a surgeon. Something again to do with. Um, Africa, possibly mm-hmm. India, and colonialism. Okay. Um, yeah, I wonder, a book that big, is 50 enough? Maybe 100 to get the flavor? 100 pages is an investment, but but we'll see. I remember I reading Cutting for Stone I typically use 50 really pages my, yeah. for myself. And again, I'm, I'm going off my Bayesian prior that the novel is probably 330 pages long, kind of that what I think of as mm-hmm. the platonic ideal of a novel length. So you're looking oh, yes. at 15-ish percent of the book. 15-ish percent of 900 is you're looking at 150 pages. That's that's several <laughs> hours of of commitment, I, I guess. I mean, here's the thing. If you if you could, if you say I want to do at least 15% and you find yourself chafing, that's enough. That's true. Don't you think? I do. Yeah, I yeah. think I can shoot for 15% and we'll see how it goes. It's called The Covenant of Water. It comes out in May of 2023. Um, pardon me while I linger on this. This is, I know less about this cause I'd never really got into the, the galley review copy racket. Is that early for, for, for you to get one? It for is. April it's a, next like, year? It, the publicist pitched this as a VIP galley. So, oh, oh, <laughs> which oh, oh, <laughs> I feel okay. silly about saying oh. there's not a cover for it yet. It's a galley that just like, it's like a blue paper cover that has those. the title and the publication date yeah there's not a cover finalized for it yet they don't have blurbs finalized for it yet marketing's not happening and it looks like it's not even listed on amazon yet what's the term of art for that is that a ga- is that is that a, is that a galley that's a galley I think right that's not a review technically copy a bound galley yeah a not, bound it's not galley. a review copy yeah this is a vip like which i, I feel like know, i should put in quotation marks i don't know where i got it but i have a bound galley of home by tony morrison which is my oh. only like really special sort of like review copy industry item. I don't do a lot of, I do a little bit of I collecting, wish, especially Morrison, but I don't even remember where I got it. It's not. Yeah. I wish that I had known that the Martian and Gone Girl were going to be the things that they had been. Cause I had those. Um, so even books you like, you don't keep the galley of you buy a fi- like what, ha- you well, like those I get books. Rid of, I get rid of galleys pretty quickly. And I think I must've just gotten rid of those before the like full phenomenon happened oh, and they're like, Oh, I okay, wish I would have gotcha. kept this for posterity, but I don't, I just don't keep much for posterity. Mm. I kept the copy of the Martian that I bought last year when we did, when we redid book nerd movie hour. So I have it on gotcha. my shelf now, but I don't know. I'm pretty ruthless. <laughs> 
Well, and again, I know th- I've been a part of this enough to know that you hear us talking like, oh, you know, a special Galley of Vergesi, home by Toni Morris. That's like one-tenth of one percent of the stuff that gets sent. <laughs> yeah. it, it's so much, and especially <laughs> if it's an author you don't know, like you, you've got to do something with that stuff. Tr- you can't wait around tr- to see if this is going to be a phenomenon in two years. Yeah, it truly is. And like, I just am not, I don't know, sentimental about no. most books. So unless it's really, really special, it is not going to have a long life in my house. Most of my reading is digital now for that reason. And really what happens is like, unless we're reading something for the show that I think mm-hmm. both I'm really going to like and I want to take notes in in with my own hands on paper I do like 90% of my reading digitally and then if I like something I go if I really like it like I read Matrix on my iPad while I was traveling last year and then once I was like oh okay Lauren Groff like I get you 13th century nuns I'm in I went and bought a hardcover of it um, so I could have it but that also I mean just doesn't happen that often I think Mm. I somebody asked on the Patreon because I had like mentioned recently on the show really paring down my home book collection. And I think like there's one big shelf and it's probably 120 titles that I'm keeping and I'll like rotate stuff out every year or so. I've got, we've got this new big built-in bookshelf wall and I'd done a lot of Mm -hmm. culling before that and I've got some open space. So I'm kind of in a curated print book buying moment where I'll I'll get every now and again, I'll pick something up that I want to have in print. Like the Babel, it's like this really beautiful cover. Um, and I kind of want to, I'm not sure if I'm going to read it right away, but I'm imagining kind of a fall read at some point with mm-hmm. a print book. And then some other stuff I want to have, like the Celeste Ang, I want to have that in print. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a few things like that. The Lauren Groff just came out in paperback, by the way. I just saw that. Oh, so nice. You can go check that out. Um, speaking of there being a lot of books, <laughs> I, I was really joking mostly about the Booker Prize list and how I had mm. only read two of the long list I've got to tell you I had a real I've had had a real hard look in the mirror about the NBA long list in fiction and nonfiction (laughs) because Rebecca not only have I not read any of the fiction 10 fiction American literary fiction new releases 2022 not only have not read any of them only Mm -hmm. one of them is on my maybe list what am I doing with my life I'm not joking. It's, what is happening? I, I don't know. I had, I've read two of them. Which and, ones did you read? Uh, if I Survive You by Jonathan okay. Escoffery, which, which I just read liked. recently. You liked. Which I, yeah, I did really like yeah. it. I just finished All This Could Be Different by Sarah Thankham Matthews. It's excellent. Yeah. I'm really, okay. really glad for that. And then Nobody Gets Out Alive by Lee Newman is, I have the galley of that. It's been sitting on my iPad for like a year. Um, so I'm probably going mm. to read that out of curiosity. And then I think the rabbit hutch has sort of been by Tess Gunty has been like bubbling up enough that I have been maybe paying a little peripheral attention to it, but I'm I'm not in a much better position than, than you are. And I also had to like, wait, what? <laughs> what do we, do? and then on the fiction, on the nonfiction list, we both read Lost and Found. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the, I think, oh, there was a, I can't remember. I don't have the list in front of me. I should probably do this. Welcome to professional podcasting. Um, one of the, one of the, um, uh, um, COVID uh, vaccine books. I can't remember which one is on there. And I've got several on my list. I'm not sure. I've been circling those because I don't know which. One. I'm not going to read multiple COVID vaccine yeah. bo- books, but maybe this oh, will yeah. do. But- that's, 
that's Breathless by David Quammen. And I think if you're going to pick one science book, I haven't read this either, but mm-hmm. like one sciencey book that's also going to be interesting and will probably move like his books tend to move right along yeah. um, and be compelling. That might be a, a good one for that. What am I doing? I, I'm, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, but also like, I kind of think, well, this is a problem. Is this a problem? I mean, look, I don't want to concern troll the national book awards, but like, I do this professionally. I've been trying to do it. Eight of these tens are debuts. What's happening? I mean, are these the well, best? I don't have any about the quality, but like, this is an impossible field to cover. I guess I've always known this. It just feels, I feel very like helpless about <laughs> trying. I, and maybe I just missed, there's so many, but like, what am I doing? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at the judges a little bit too. Like, and I don't know all the judges here, but the fiction judges are Ben Fountain, who wrote Billy Flynn's yeah. Long to Halftime Walk, um, or Billy Lynn. Billy Flynn is the Chicago <laughs> character. <laughs> That's right. Um, That's funny. <laughs> uh, Brandon Hobson, Pam Houston, Dana Johnson, and Michelle Malonzo. And like two of the eight are short story collections. Um, oh no, three of the eight are short story, or three of the ten are short story Debut collections. Debut short story collections. Debut I'm short sorry. story collections. I'm sorry, I can't. I, yeah, and I'm like I mean, Pam there. Houston is one of the, these judges, so even if that's just her influence, that's not that surprising. Um, I think they're looking. They must be looking at different stuff. They're getting a field of things. I also think there's real drift between what is like not even TikTok level, but what is just like bookish internet interest in the zeitgeist of fiction and the kind of like much more pure literary fiction that the national book award tends to reward and pay attention to and i haven't read these like other than you know if i survive you and this could all be different but those are that's just straight literary fiction it's beautifully written you know carefully developed you can just sink right into it and appreciate the sentences and all of the things that are happening but the the place we've drifted like even just you and me but i think book Book riot represents this and popular reading is towards that you know multi-genre there's something edgy or weird or you know tilted about it and i'm not sure that the national book award is you know on that same trend or interested in following that same trend i think they're maybe also thinking about how hard it is to become this is just a guess but how hard Mm. it is to get visibility when you're the author of a debut collection of short stories and that there are like there are other places that you know other books can get visibility and so this is a spot like if you've got to pick 10 and there are more than 10 worthy books in a year okay um but I i don't know i i guess there are so many books that this is going to happen. There are way more books than there are TV shows, way more books than there are movies. It's a fine thing. But I'm just thinking of it a scenario which if we were movie podcasters, right, mm-hmm. and we paid attention to this all, and the 10 finalists for the Academy Award for <laughs> Best Picture, we're like, what are these? Or yeah, like, oh, we've yeah. heard of it's... three of them. That would be really strange. Yeah, it's really a weird... Strange. This is a weird thing that's happening. I would like to hear from listeners about these lists, yeah. how familiar y'all are or aren't. And and even just looking down my reading list for the year, like I think, you know, there were some contenders, some things I wouldn't have been surprised to see show up for the National Book Award. Small World by Jonathan Evison. I wouldn't have been shocked to see that there. Um, 
the swimmers, Juliet Suka, or was that we, last we, year? We had, that came out last we had, year. listen, we had to Paradise, we had Hania Yanagahara, right. Jennifer right. Egan, and the Emily Candy Scene, House was my next one. Yeah, yeah. The Candy I House came out. I don't expect all of them to be on there, but they all <laughs> just whiffed. I mean, that's really weird. It is. It's really, it's really interesting. Um, the Mosin Hamid, I thought, might be a contender, no. the last white man. Joan is okay. I, I, I was kind of thinking we might see Wakey Wang show up on some of these. Mm-hmm. Um, re- it's really interesting. I don't know if it's a problem. It makes me uh, personally less interested in paying much attention to the national book award in the future yeah. i don't know well i mean look, i feel like we're I was not aligned looking, i was looking at the, like the last few years and looking at 2016 the underground wh- railroad won for fiction in 2016 mm-hmm. in 2015 um it was the orphan master's son yeah. and then and nonfiction was between the world and me in 2017 it was sing unburied sing for fiction mm-hmm. In 2018, um, it was The Friend by Sigrid Nunez. That was a surprise. I remember that oh, one yeah, being that a surprise. Oh, yeah, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2019, it was Trust Exercise, also a bit of a surprise, but uh-huh. I think it had some juice. In 2020, it was Interior Chinatown, The Charles Yu. And oh, last yeah. year, was Jason Mott's Hell of a Book. So I don't that know what surprise. I'm... Con- that's a surprise. Su- there's more surprises there than you would think. I think I'm thinking of whatever my mental model of the National Book Award was cast earlier. And I think I was much more of a Johnny come lately so that mm. I would know about something like, I don't know, I'm picking something kind of at random here, uh, The Great Fire by Shirley Hazard in tw- 2003. I wasn't reading all the front list fiction in 2013. So I was like, oh, that won the National Book Board. Let me ah. pick that up. Let me pick up Waiting by Ha Jin <laughs> in 1999. Um, Fr- Jonathan Franzen's The Corrections won in 2001. <laughs> so it's like, there are some brand name stuff here. And mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a thing that that matters, but like, is it, is there a world in which having a hundred book media people do make it like the Academy where it's a bunch of people. So you get some, the niche has a mainstream, I guess it's, it's books are niche. That's just all there is to it. Books Mm -hmm. art, art writing for books is niche. So if it's already niche, might there some, might there be some value to mainstreaming of the niche or some sort of consensus rather than that four people's weirdo <laughs> idiosyncratic taste? I mean, I don't know. I mean, does that do anything? If, yeah, is it better it's... for books and reading if these are four books I've read, three I've heard of, and two wild cards? Well, probably not. The it national, probably doesn't matter. Yeah, the closest we have to a, like let the Academy vote is the National Book Critics Circle. Yeah. But the last time, it has been many years, I should say, since I was a member of this because I don't care. Um, and the last time I looked and they may have updated it to acknowledge that the internet is more of a thing now, but the last time I was familiar with it, the criteria for being a voting member were narrow enough that you had to be like writing reviews of books that, you know, were published online or in print media in order to qualify and I think there's there's so many other ways of being super familiar with and expressing opinions and cr- critical opinions about books now that that would need to be updated and expanded in some way to to be relevant either it's it's interesting because this does serve like it serves a narrowing down purpose for somebody who's like wandering around Barnes and Noble and you can see the National yeah. Book Award sticker it might help you pick something but if there's not really a consistency to how those books are chosen and 
who is choosing them, which is the same situation with the Pulitzers. Those are done yeah, by no, committee. And you are. can even get a year like you can get a year like 2012 where there are great books published and something goes sideways in the way that books are floated up to the committee where by the time they get presented with a long list they decide there's nothing worth giving the award to i, I mean that's unacceptable I, that which i i totally agree i think that's unacceptable yeah. there you is had one job yeah <laughs> right and there's not an absolute measure of book no. quality like you cannot do the j henry j pritchard or whatever it was from dead poet society thing and like graph the quality of a book to determine if we should give an award this year or not so if the point is to recognize the best of the year there is a best even if the best of this year i don't know is quote unquote not as good as the best of youth last year was but it is strange i think especially like is this an award now just to award literary writing to make writers feel better is it supposed to be some kind of reader service like whether or not there's a reader service component to how the Mm. judges of this stuff are thinking about it is a a big question that I would love to hear somebody speak on because these are pretty narrow like not super narrow but like narrowly appealing works of fiction and I really liked them but the stuff that I like and the stuff that you like inside the world of books and reading (laughs) is pretty narrow like straight up lit fic short stories linked short stories is a that's a hard sell for most readers and if you're talking to a reader who picks up 10 or 12 books a year to be a heavy reader in the United States I I don't think it does what visibility of this level could do for both the reader and a book yeah and again maybe I'm sure awards don't really matter but (laughs) if we're (laughs) gonna do if we're gonna do something for them I just am trying to imagine a world in which there are 10 finalists here and I'm I don't know. I haven't read these books clearly. That's why I'm bent out of shape today about it, I guess. Bad job, me. But, like, if there's four, you know, if the books that are on this list have some awareness, a, significant, a fairly significant awareness in the kinds of people that are interested in this kind of award, it's like, oh, yeah, I liked A Little Life. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. Station Eleven. Oh, yeah. It's like, can you get a little momentum behind them so that the the world, the ecosystem feels like there's an ecosystem there and it's not completely distributed yeah. and disparate and diffuse all over it's, the place. And I was wrong. It's four out of the 10 are short story collections. Four out of 10. <laughs> what was the last short story collection that had any kind of juice? In, in even in the mainstream of our niche. I'm going to, I got to let go of this. Phrase Alice Monroe, probably. <laughs> Alice, Monroe, Alice Monroe, who got her, who got her start in the 60s. Yeah. I don't know, it's man. I, I don't know how I would do it because I also don't want the Goodreads Awards. Or maybe right. I do. Here's a question for you. Would you rather have your next two months of reading determined by the finalists of the fiction long list or the finalists of the fiction long list for the Goodreads Awards? Hmm. I am well surprised it's to me even a question at this point. Yeah. Casting backwards, looking at the National Book Award lists from the last couple of years and the Goodreads list, for, I'm much more likely to have read the stuff that ends up on the Goodreads lists, even yep. if I disagree with the final result or how the mm-hmm. country ends up voting on those. Um, but yeah, it's it has really shifted. I mean, I, I don't know. It just seems like 
if there's going to be any kind of a mainstream in books and reading, especially when it comes, and maybe they've just given up and they say, you know what, there's no shot, so we might as well let let specificity and discernment mm-hmm. and discovery rule the day. Maybe that's the right thing. Maybe in the world of TikTok and, and Costco and Target and celebrity book clubs, it's like that's all covered. There is a mainstream. If people want to find out about books now, they have other ways of doing it. We're really going to go spelunking. Not spelunking, but we're really going to go and look at the corners and edges and, and bring something into the light that w- doesn't have a shine any other way, which I can kind of respect. But there's a part of me that really wants – I guess what I'm saying is I would really like, if I could, the Pulitzer or the National Book Award – year in, year out, they're not always going to get right, to pick the book that will stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Now, we look back 20 years later and say, you know what? It makes sense that that book won the National Book Award. That that yeah. makes sense. I think the Pulitzers are better than that, better at that than the other, than the National Book Award and then the Booker at saying, like, at least this is why this is important right now. And as we look back on this year, five or 10 or 20 years later, we'll be able to understand why this book won. And I think that's where I'm struggling with the National yeah. Book Awards is looking back at some of the past winners, like, you know, the Underground Railroad, I can tell you right now right. why that was so significant. The year that it came out, we still talk about it in the world of books and reading. They did a big update. People were going to be talking about that book for many years. Like, I don't think we're going to get to a place in the near future where somebody mm-hmm. looks back and is like, does anybody remember a book called the Underground Railroad? And the... <sighs> It's hard. Most books don't stand the test of time in terms of public consciousness and memory. Um, But it's hard looking at these long lists. And like, again, I liked the two on this list that I have read. I would probably like other ones. But I don't think five years from now, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, Jonathan Escoffery, if I survive you, that was like the book of 2022 I'm still thinking about it it was really like important culturally in some way and mm. and maybe I'm just bringing the wrong mental model but I I think of these awards as intended to say this is of cultural significance and so we want to point the spotlight on it and call the public's attention to it yeah I don't know I guess I'm asking for something that can be neither I neither want it to be a true popularity <laughs> contest nor a hey people sitting around this table What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a way to look for me to look at this and be like, you know, I don't want to read as narrowly as it looks like this list was constructed. So I feel good about all the variety in my reading and that I haven't nailed all 10 of these. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I don't love that. Secondary question. Do you think my radar is just off? Like I've been trying to, I mean, I'm not going to read stuff I really don't want to read, except if we're going to podcast on a Patreon about it, having said that, right? But like, I really was reading and have been reading. I'm going to continue for the rest of the year and think about 2023 in the future of like, what books am I interested in? True. But then what books are going to have some kind of currency, some kind of awareness that's not among the kinds of people that go to a Powell's on a Tuesday night and look at the new releases fiction section, not I, just the bestsellers, not like, did I, is my radar hooked up wrong or, or is there a radar? I, I feel like. I don't know. I, I'm really throw. I thought I was doing a fairly good job because I was like, okay, I don't think I've really missed anything. Honestly, yeah, I don't I, think I've missed anything. I don't this think year. so. And like, this could be, I could just be, you know, we could both have the same bias. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, but I don't think so. Like, also because I haven't even heard of all 10 of yeah. these. And we both pay really 
wide attention <laughs> to what people are talking mm-hmm. about in this landscape, both from our staff, our contributor core, which is a couple hundred people strong talking about books. We follow folks on social media. We read things. We listen to podcasts. It's out there. And there's way too much for anybody to follow all of it. So like, I'm sure that someone somewhere has talked about Shudder by Ramona Emerson in a place that I just didn't see. And like, that's a Mm. crime, a work of crime fiction. So also not my niche. I'm not going to pay much attention to those in general. But I, I think for it, it's just interesting that yeah. you can pay as much attention as we do to the books that are big in many ways that readers are responding to and talking about. Not for nothing, our contributor core is populated by you know, expert amateurs, people who are not professional book critics. Most of them have jobs, like day jobs, fully outside of books. They are passionate readers who are also great writers. And I think they're a really nice sort of sample of what's happening in the world of books they give me a a broader scope than i would get just picking people in my own interest to like follow on instagram and pay attention to their book selections and i haven't seen many of these really or any of them like bubble up in that group again i'm sure Mm. there are holes i'm sure that these are all that these are 10 wonderful good books that deserve attention but it's it's just weird to get to the place of like i don't really know many of these and I don't know where else I could be paying attention that qualifies as sort of like broad mainstream book stuff. Yeah. Like, um, again, I, I guess the, the agora of the literary world still, even at this day and age, I think um, among like the critics, influencer types, and I, I don't mean that. I mean like the associate editor at FSG is on Twitter. Right. The, right. the marketing manager, they're on Twitter, and that's where a lot of stuff gets talked about. And when I was on Twitter more, I would see stuff, and things would get – people I'd follow and respect would mention a book, and it'd be on my radar. And that's not really how I'm doing this anymore. And frankly, mm-hmm. I'm not even, even sure at this point I could point to why this book versus that book, but I'm kind of – I'm using the divining rod of my taste and a, yeah. awareness, and it's pointing me to – and it's pointing me to plenty of books – but am I just missing out or am I, am I the mainstream and this is out of the mainstream or there is no mainstream? I'm just feeling at sea because uh, I've enjoyed the project. But like, what am I doing? Like, well, because are we, are like we going to from... read books that we're like, if we're going to read books to talk about them on the show, that enough people on the show would be interested in all to even care, let alone know, but care about it. Are there 12 books even a year, Rebecca? Are there? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Yeah. There, I mean, there aren't like we don't do that many book club episodes we don't do one a month where where something rises to the level of this will be interesting to enough people that we're going to talk about it here yeah we kind of both assume that when we get to front list foyer literally no one and i mean not literally but to a first approximation no one has heard of them in our listenership (laughs) they're a surprise to each other i hadn't heard of that book you're reading right now and we both do the same thing in a very similar case it's so weird yeah we do it is it's really weird it's that's interesting. I is think there we've any drifted... other? Is there any other media like? Does this happen in music? Does this happen in movies or TV or uh, knitting circles? Like I don't even know in sports. Like where someone who covers it like we do and pays attention like we do could be completely blindsided by a list of the net of, of the well the signal one. I think it's it must be unusual. It has to be. Yeah, I mean, and there's just so many more, especially the books to movies or books to TV comparison. Yeah. There are so many more books than there yeah. are. TV shows and movies in a given year that I think folks in the, that industry have less to 
winnow down <laughs> to get mm-hmm. to what's award worthy. Um, you know, and there's even the competition in prestige TV is hot right now, but, and I watch a lot of it, but like I have enough time in my one human life to watch, I don't know, 85% of the fancy TV shows that I want to be able to pay attention to. And my, if I had made a maybe list for the year, I definitely would not be able to get to 85% of those of books that I think are interesting and that I might want to pick them up. Not even close. Not even close. Because like some of the TV shows I know you and I both like, let's just take, you know, Severance, Hacks, Reservation Mm -hmm. Dogs, things we've seen this year, season two of some of those. I can get through an entire season of Reservation Dogs in a night if I try. Right. Right? That's eight episodes, 27 minutes. I can't read a whole book in a night. Yeah, no, like, this I can't is the, do it. This is the first year that I've kept a list of what I'm watching on TV just to like, mm-hmm. I think it would be interesting <laughs> to be able to look back right. and think about what I liked and, and also just how much there is. And I have watched 50 things, like a, a whole season of 50 things. Wow. <laughs> Right. this year and I've finished about 60 books like some of my book time has gone to mm-hmm. tv stuff or went to tv stuff over the summer when I was just like doing some burnout recovery but I I could not in the time that I could watch you know like the entirety of like loot on apple which was I think I spent a Saturday afternoon right. watching six or eight episodes that's not that's not even a whole book that's like half a book um and it's one and book. Let's say you smaller. do get to one book. Right. Let's say you read the whole book in the same time. Right. To a first approximation, no one else you know will have read it, and you can't talk to <laughs> anyone else. No, I'm serious. Like, this is the other, it's this true. is the flip side of this. Like, I think the average, I don't know, enjoyment of each individual, like, the, I enjoy each piece of TV that I have watched or movie mm-hmm. that I've watched more. That average rating is higher than my average book rating. Like, what's happening in my reading life is. I enjoy everything that I finish because I don't finish stuff I'm not enjoying. And then every year there are a couple really special books that I'm like, man, it would have been a loss to not have read that book. I would have been really sad if I didn't read Clara and the Sun or this year, you know, Lost and Found or some of the other ones Mm. we've talked about. But I can look at this list of 50 TV shows and this year isn't even over yet. And give you many more than that. That I like, like, man, I would be bummed if I hadn't put that into my eyeballs. That was a great piece of entertainment. It does feel a little bit, and maybe this cry has been made ever since the dawn of, of books and reading and whatever you want to call like the literary mainstream. But that comparison is, is the gulf is as big as it's ever been because there's so much TV, so much money is getting pumped into it, and so many people are paying attention that you could name 15 TV shows I haven't watched of, watched, but I've heard of and actually kind of know something about, but in my own space where I cook, where I, where, where I clean up the dishes, I can get the most prestigious American single book prize or <laughs> Pulitzer, and I can come up goose egg with having read any of them. Uh-huh. That just, it's, it's completely, and I don't know what to do about that. Is there... We just don't have tastemakers, I guess. We have influencers, but we don't have tastemakers. And I think even if you had started your front list project this year with the intention of not just broadly reading front list and exploring things based on your taste, but reading reading for this project, like I'm going to try. If you've been like, I'm going to, I'm going to read to try to guess what's going to be on the National Book Award long list. I don't think you would have landed at any more than maybe two of these. 
maybe. I mean, I kind of, I mean, I didn't use that expressly, but I guess that's kind of what I was thinking. I was thinking about like at the end of the year, I want to see, I want to be a part of this thing that I guess isn't happening of like figuring out and, and thinking about and experiencing in real time the books of the year. And maybe that's still the case. Sometimes they get it wrong. Like Crash won an Academy Award. So there's a counterexample to everything. Um, sure. And, and the Tinker, Tinkers by Paul Hardy won the National Book Award, and I don't think anyone's <laughs> picking that up anymore. No, no, so we, I, no know, I know anything's not perfect, but I'm not even talking about the winner. I'm not even talking about the shortlist. It's really, I mean, the, now the show has become about this, but I, I, it's an interesting to me topic because I think it says, now we're really getting meta. I think for us, that's also why this show is constructed as it is. Mm-hmm. Because we can't talk about individual books and people, we can talk, and we're, I don't know if we're going to get to it today because we're running long because I'm yammering on, but like <laughs> people are more, there's more awareness, interest that we can coalesce around talking about Spotify, audiobooks coming to Spotify, or yeah. PRH making this weirdo deal with TikTok about having landing pages. Well, it's one of the long running reasons that we don't really do author reviews. interviews yeah. and, author and reviews, right. on the show and straight book reviews on the website because the likelihood that anybody listening to this podcast or flipping through book riot scrolling through book riot on a given day will have yeah. read that particular book especially on the time frame that publicists want you to be doing the interviews <laughs> right yeah like right. they care about interviews because they want to sell the book to people who haven't read it already but just the likelihood that enough listeners are interested even if they haven't read the book mm-hmm. to make it worth the value over replacement segment you know to yep, make it right. worth talking here's a about book coming that out in two months that you haven't or, read like, and probably won't welcome right here's Stay an tune author for our sponsor yeah. here's a, an author who's probably not on your radar we're going to ask them where their ideas come from <laughs> you know like that's not a listener's service we so i think that's how we have landed at yeah. you know half a dozen times a year we do a book club conversation about a book that's big enough and important enough or interesting enough that we think it it's going to reach a wide enough segment of our audience to make that worth everyone's time and attention because we also have to take seriously the the attention of the people who make it possible for us to do this job. Yes. So if we right. showed up here every week and just talked about, you know, in depth the niche literary fiction <laughs> that we read without stuff that applies more broadly to more people, our audience would be much smaller and that doesn't serve, uh, you know, the the goals of an ongoing <laughs> business. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess there that that professional piece too, and this is the pod is only a part of what we do for the company. But I think from our creative point of view and like where our hobby and interest intersect, mm-hmm. you know, we have a lot of our, I don't know, psychological eggs in this basket and how we think and how we talk together about books. And so, if I think of what I want to do is I have some be, to demonstrate some curation discernment for our listeners because we're more plugged in than they are. Maybe yes. maybe there's some of them out there where, so that we're trying to like find and discover and point. But th- what this has shown me that I don't know what I'm doing, or or at the very least, like <laughs> well, if I if this if this is the plug I'm trying to get into the wall socket, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, I I can't do it either. You know, we talk about the book riot reader or listener as being like the book person in their circle yeah. of friends, and so we have to be the resources, or we're trying to be the resources for those for people. Those people. Yeah, if fun. you're the book person in your group of friends, <laughs> we want to go like one layer. You know, we're paying, we, we, we get to spend 40 hours a week doing this. So we're paying a different kind of attention right. than you as the book person in your circle are doing or have the bandwidth to do. And that's the service that we're providing. And so we're thinking about how do we best serve 
people who are coming to us for exactly that. And mm. I don't think it is spending detailed time on niche books or topics that very few of the people listening to the show are going to be interested in or can relate to. Or at least pick your spot, right? To do 20 right. minutes on post-traumatic because you think it's right. special and it's unusual. But then I think you also, I mean, in the, the books that we do spend, I mean, there's a reason we picked them, right? But like looking back at yeah. what we've done this year, we've done spots on or extended discussions of several things or one of us has monologued for a little while other than just mm -hmm. a front loaded story thing. Like, I think we've picked out kind of some interesting stuff, frankly. And I think the, the, the other way to go is to like make a segment of the show once a month or once a week or something that's like, here's a book that matters. Here's a book that we think matters for whatever mm -hmm. reason. Could be that we think it's a debut or a niche book that should have a wider audience or in like an ends with us cases, like people are talking about this or some sort of middle ground, which is this is one of the tentpole books in the world of books and reading that is warrants talking about. It's not just another James Patterson that's going to, we're not talking about just sales, but it's like, it's like the thing we talk about the books of the year calculus we do. It has to have, it has to yeah. sell enough. It has to have some readership, has to be interesting, have some, something that kind of hits multiple quadrants. That's what we're kind of looking to do. And when I look at this list, it feels like it's hitting one quadrant, which is, mm -hmm. oh, this book is cool. Look at this little book. Look, look at these books. But it's not trying to hit any of the other quadrants. And my own sensibility anymore is like, I'd like to hit more of those quadrants. I'm not just an art reader um, myself. Yeah, I think that's, I don't know that I that's ever a was, great honestly. way. <laughs> Same. And I think that's a great way yeah. to sum it up. That like maybe this, this panel certainly, and maybe the National Book Award in general, is just focused on the art angle without caring about the broader landscape and what's happening and and there are more ways than just being artistically good for a book to matter I think it needs to be artistically good enough <laughs> to matter in the long mm -hmm. run and and I want it to be for my own reading experience but if it is just I don't want to say just I don't want to like diminish but if it's a niche book that is artistically wonderful and is going to be just a really small drop into the pond of the books that come out that year or the books that come out like in the decade, we have to make the same decisions that everybody else who reads books has to make. And we get more space. Yeah. We read many more books than the average mm -hmm. heavy reader, you know, in my favorite, most cited statistic. Yeah, that, right. <laughs> that it's, it does need to ring more than one bell. And like, it's fine if your jam is just straight up reading for art, that's fine. But if you're trying to have a sense of what's going on in mm. books, what's going on in publishing, what's going on in the public reader's consciousness, this long list is not a reflection of that. I feel very comfortable saying that. Yeah. And if that's not what they want to do, that's fine. That's fine for fine. the National Book Award. I guess what I'm realizing, I want some other service some other service that does something like this, some other way of spotlighting, collecting, curating that pulls a little more towards, if populism is not the right word, then mindshare, curating, awareness mm -hmm. at all. Um, because then maybe you could get a little momentum for a broader conversation. Or you could talk, that you and I and Jen could sit down at a table and maybe there were seven books that we all had read this year. And also mm -hmm. that we knew that other people were reading about. I kind of, this is the price you pay for having so much choice is that you can read about anything, but what you give up for that is you can't talk to anyone about that unless you go right. out and really make that part of what you do. <laughs> right. Like I was telling you recently about 
a friend who went on a date and the and the guy asked her you know what her favorite book was and before she could answer she flipped it back to him and he said where the crawdads sing and i was sort of making cringy face at you when i was telling you about it and you were like you know if you're a dude especially and you're trying to impress a lady and you're just taking a shot at a book that (laughs) that you know a lot of people have read and a lot of people liked you could do worse than say where the average expected outcome is probably your best bet you're going to have a high rate of return on that. That's maybe not yeah. also where we want to end up on a reflection of like what's going on with Well, with in books a way though, and... I mean, to me, and you know this about me, and I think people that listen to the show knows about me, I like the talking about the book as much, mm-hmm. maybe if not a little bit more some a lot of times <laughs> than the book itself. So that's why the crawdads thing I want to talk about, I find it interesting, and I'm glad that there's a book like that. And also when I get frustrated when that's the book or when it's, it ends with us, right? Because I'm, I guess, in that reward, I'm more like, towards the art scale. Can't the really good stuff also go viral? Yeah. Can't we have a moment for something that is artistically beautiful and really popular? It is frustrating. And the bar but, for that is so high because when we get it, it's yeah. the Underground Railroad or Clara and the Sun. And those right. are like... Gone That's so hard to do. Gone. They're yeah. so rare. Mm-hmm. Um, that I guess it's the exception that proves the rule. How hard it is to have something that ticks all of those boxes. But I don't know. That's our show. I guess we're we're leaving all the news <laughs> stuff. It's an hour. That's a lot of that. But it's it's a show kind of about the problems of podcasting about books. Frankly, if you're trying yeah. to be general it's... in any kind of way or cover the waterfront, it's really really hard. Yeah, it's re- it is. It's an interesting challenge. I was wondering, looking at this, like. If you stuck a National Book Award finalist sticker on all 10 of these and put them in Barnes & Noble and random readers picked them up and read them, how positive is that experience? Like if you are trying to pick your 10 or 12 books for the year and we know that most people are not specifically drawn to like serious artsy literary fiction, are you happy with the thing you got there? Especially if you can't talk to anybody else about it. I mean, maybe the people you talk about it is your book club and they read 12 mm-hmm. books a year and they can be as idiosyncratic yeah. as all get out because you only need, you know, a fellowship of 12 or whatever it is or four to have a really good experience about. But when you're talking about a one-to-many communication source like this one, I don't know how you do it. I don't know. You, you've got to find some way to make a book that's being talked about that you have to assume that 80% of your listenerships will never read. How do you make that interesting and relevant? And you need to have them a reason to care about that book outside of their own reading of it. Yeah. And that's when you need mindshare. That's like people right. are talking and about, people know about, something else happened. And we can see, you know, the, the number of listens to the different episodes of this podcast. So we would right. know if our book club discussions of titles, if, if, if a lot of listeners were like, oh, I don't care about that, I'm bouncing out. And that's right. not what's happening. No. And I don't know if it would if that would be the same if we were picking much smaller, nichier, artsy selections. I my guess is that more people would bounce out because they're less likely to have heard the thing when it shows up in the title of the episode. Like some mm-hmm. people are just gonna be curious and, and listen and maybe they'll go pick it up. But even in my own, I get paid to be broadly curious about mm-hmm. this life. When I'm looking through like the new episode of Ezra Klein and it's like an interview with this author. I skip a lot of those. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I think we pick the books. There are there are some books that come out in our general wheelhouse 
that little candy house to paradise. Yeah, we with the Celeste Ng, our missing mm-hmm. hearts. Like, yeah. we know enough about our listenership that a lot of people, if they're not going to read it, they know who the author is. They know that it's somewhat interesting in the wider reading world, and that m- there might be something interesting there. Yeah, so or they there, want the But there's not points. as many of those. There's just not as many of those. Yeah, like are there that's even one 10? of the things. Yeah, I don't think there's even 10. Like, that's one of the things that we heard about the Crawdads episode. I think we'll hear it about the Colleen Hoover episode and and some of the, you know, popular stuff that we do like is like, I didn't get to this, but I wanted to know what it was about. I want to be able to like have the talking points on it for those imaginary dinner parties that no one actually (laughs) goes to. And and I don't think any to come back to the long list, any of these are going to rise to that level. Like you're not going to bump into someone at a random event who's like. And have you read The Rabbit Hutch by Tess Gunty? Like, I'm staring at you to determine if you're literary enough. <laughs> Not to know. Or even Tess that Gunty. you've, sure or even that you've scratched off the sticker of I know something about this hobby yeah. that I care about, which is books yeah. and reading, right? Right. Okay. Well, I don't mean to be a downer, but well, that's that was that's on our my show. Mind. Clearly, that's our show this week. <laughs> you can shoot us an email podcast at bookriot.com. You can you can find. Normally, we talk about links, uh, and we put links. I guess there is one link. <laughs> to the, the National Book Award, which I'm sure you're all going to read with bated breath at this point. We even talked about yeah, all the books. We didn't even list the well, titles. I had had a, like a placeholder on our Patreon schedule for like after the National Book Award is announced, maybe we will book club the finalist or the winner. But now that I've seen the long list, I don't want to commit myself to that up front. Well, because I was like, pars- my, one of my initial reactions was like, okay, well, I'm not going to get to all 10. But when the short list comes out, maybe I'll try to read those. But mm. I'm like, Why? <laughs> What if four of the five on the short list are debut short story collection? And like, listen, I like debut short story collections more than almost anybody. Yeah. And there's books I picked up, especially when I was younger, that I only knew about because it won the National Book Award, and I really liked them. But it turns out the replacement value book from FSG or Scribner or MCD Uh or Riverhead or Penguin Press is going to be pretty good, too. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. That's that's our show. If you got a solution to this, um, maybe hopefully you live in one of our hiring jurors. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's it's <laughs> it's really hard. And one Sometimes of the reasons that the site is put like. together like it is is because there is no center, right? It's explicitly right. put together right. to be decentralized. But some, every now and again, it's like, oh, the center, a center would be nice. Some kind of center would be okay um, <laughs> for some of this. Well, Rebecca, thanks so much. Always an adventure. Mm-hmm.